Section 10 of Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Lisa Murphy, Richmond, Virginia. Antonia by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Eaves. Section 10. Marcel, seeing that his uncle's vanity as a horticulturist had resumed the upper hand, and thinking that he might exploit his delight to the advantage of his aunt and cousin, lavished the most fulsome praise on the future Antonia. "'You intend, of course, to present it to the royal garden. The learned professors will hold you in the greatest esteem.' "'Oh, as to that, not much,' replied Monsieur Antoine. "'They can look at it to their heart's content, describe it in their fine language, specificize it, as they say.' but it's the only specimen of its kind and i won't part with it until i have a lot of bulbs but what if it dies without offspring why then my name will live in the catalogues that isn't enough if i were in your place i would have it painted in case of accident how painted do you mean to say that they paint flowers now ah i understand you mean that i ought to have a portrait made of it i have thought of that for some of my other rare plants but I was on bad terms with my brother, and when I went to other painters I was never satisfied with their crazy daubing. I paid big prices, and then slashed the canvas or tore the paper. And you have never thought of Julien? Bah, Julien, an apprentice. Have you ever seen any of his work? No, nothing, faith. Do you want me to bring... No, nothing, I tell you. We are not on good terms. Yes, you are. He has always called on you on the 1st of January every year, and you have never had any fault to find with his manner toward you. True, he is well brought up, he isn't stupid or bad-looking, but since I refuse to advance him the money to redeem the house at Sevres, Julian has never uttered a word of blame or dissatisfaction. I give you my word of honor. All that doesn't prove that he has the necessary talent. Look, a small specimen tells the story as well as a large one take your magnifying glass and look at this marcel took from his pocket a pretty little tortoise-shell snuff-box on the lid of which was a bouquet painted in miniature by julien although it was not in his regular line of work he had made a microscopic reproduction of one of his large canvases to decorate this gift for marcel and it was in truth a little chef d'oeuvre uncle antoine did not know enough about painting to appreciate its artistic qualities but he knew the structure of every detail of a plant as well as the most accomplished botanist and armed with his magnifying glass if he could not count the stamens of each flower and the veins of each leaf he could at all events assure himself that in the sacrifices which the artist had made in favor of the general effect there was involved no error no caprice of the imagination no offense however slight against the unchangeable laws of creation he looked a long while then ingenuously inquired if julien was capable of painting flowers as large as life and upon marcel's replying in the affirmative he decided that julien should paint the portrait of the antonia theory but that it must be done under his eyes so that he could see to it that it was absolutely exact in the smallest details i know what these painters are he said they always want to invent to improve on the original they talk to you about style and light and effect oh i remember all their foolish words if julien chooses to obey me between us we may perhaps succeed in producing something fine go and tell him so that he will be ready to come and pass an hour here the day after tomorrow 
It will be in full flower then. Marcel went to consult Julien, then returned and told his uncle that he would require at least two days to study his model, and that he must let him work at it without making any suggestions until he should ask for them, when he would comply with them if they seemed judicious to him. He is very proud, said the uncle angrily. Here he is, raising objections already, like his father. Does he think that I ask him to do this as a favor? I intend to pay him, and to pay him as well as any other man would. What is a day of any gentleman's work worth? He doesn't want to be paid. If you are satisfied with what he does, he will ask you for your custom. I know what that means. He will ask me nothing. You can settle everything yourself. We know that you are generous with people you don't hate, and you won't hate Julian when you know him better. Very well. Let him come at once. Let him begin. No, he has some work that is urgent. He'll give you a few hours tomorrow for a beginning. On the following day, Julian began to study the plant and made several sketches of it, taking them from different points of view. Monsieur Antoine, faithful to the conditions exacted, did not see these sketches until they were submitted to him. He was more pleased with them than he chose to say. That conscientious method of studying the structure and bearing of the plant surprised and gratified him. Julian said little, but kept his eyes constantly on his model and seemed to love it passionately. The horticulturist began to feel some esteem for him, and, as Madame Thierry had never mentioned to her son her brother-in-law's strange conduct toward her, as nothing in the young man's face or manners betrayed the slightest feeling of aversion, Antoine, who had the greater longing to become attached to someone as he became more selfish, conceived a latent, and, if we may say so, an underground sort of friendship for him. On the second day, Julien began to paint. Thereupon the uncle ceased to understand what he was doing and began to be uneasy. It was much worse when Julien informed him that he must finish the work in his studio, where the light was arranged as he wanted it and where he had a multitude of little things which he could not carry back and forth without forgetting some of them. It was some distance from the pavilion to the Hotel de Melcy, and he would have no time to waste going to and fro the next day, for it was most essential to seize on the wing the plant's expression when it was in full bloom. But to transport the model was to put it in peril, to hasten its blooming, weaken its stalk, deaden its luster. Uncle Antoine, finding the artist immovable, determined to carry the priceless Antonia to the studio himself, with the greatest possible care, even at the risk of meeting Madame Terry and being obliged to salute her. Enforcing this unpleasant sacrifice upon Uncle Antoine, Julian was not governed by the petty crochets of a finical artist. He was following Marcel's advice, who was bent upon bringing about some sort of reconciliation between the relations and who, having abandoned all hope of inducing Madame Thierry to make the slightest advance, had considered it necessary to surprise her by an unexpected meeting with her enemy. Madame Thierry, whom we have represented to you as perfect in every respect, and who was as perfect as a woman can be, had nevertheless one little failing. Although she was not coquettish, although she did not pretend or believe herself to be still young, she had never said to herself, I am an old woman. What woman in her day was more sensible or more clear-sighted? Her youth had burst into flower among madrigals and gallant speech and manners. She had been so pretty, and she was so well preserved. 
her husband although he ruined her by his recklessness had been in love with her to his last day and it really seemed as if that old couple were destined to reproduce the legend of philemon and Bacchus. by dint of being told that she was still charming which was perfectly true considering her age good madame thierry still thought and felt herself to be all a woman and after thirty-five years she had not forgotten how deeply the ex-armorer's proposal had wounded her pride and her self-esteem that brutal man who had had the audacity to say to her i am here i am rich you may as well love me instead of my brother had caused her the only real mortification connected with what society in those days called her fault later her charm and loyalty had caused her husband's admirers to seek her society she was able to hold her head erect to triumph over prejudice to occupy a place apart an exceptional and most desirable place in public opinion she was happy therefore except for a single wound still bleeding in the depths of her heart it seemed to her that her honor had been sullied once in her life by m antoine's offers and aspirations marcel was unable to penetrate this labyrinth of feminine refinements he believed that time had wiped out the last trace of that absurd episode and that madame terry told the truth when she declared that she was ready to forgive everything in order to obtain for julian his wealthy kinsman's favor julian was not the man to covet uncle antoine's wealth he had never said to himself that by fawning upon him he might make sure of a goodly share of his inheritance for a long time he had fought against the idea of asking him for a slight service but the longing to recover for his mother by hard work the house in which she had been so happy had overcome his pride determined to devote his whole life if necessary to the task of paying his debt he no longer blushed at the measures which marcel took to induce antoine to advance the necessary funds but when it was time for his uncle to appear julian had some scruples about deceiving his mother he was afraid that the surprise would be too great and he had tried to prepare her for the visit he expected madame thierry made the best of it but she had hardly saluted monsieur antoine when she went up to her room on the first pretext that occurred to her and there remained unable to make up her mind to face that antipathetic individual antoine who had not seen her for thirty years or more did not recognize her at once and had not the presence of mind to apologize he had walked across his grounds which had a servant's gate opening on rue de babylon near the pavilion as he would trust no one but himself to touch his beplumed lily he had brought it in with his own hands he placed it with his own hands on the table in the little studio he removed with his own hands the enormous horn of white paper which protected it and when he saw that the artist was fairly at work he took a newspaper which madame de strel sent to madame thierry every morning and dozed in a corner of the studio julian expected marcel who had promised to attempt to effect the reconciliation which he had planned but marcel was detained by unexpected business and did not appear madame thierry did not come down julian felt that he could not break the ice unassisted by his cousin so he did not speak but worked on did his best and thought of julie uncle antoine slept with one eye open he felt agitated excited constrained in the house of the woman he hated and in sight of the hotel d'estrelle where his new inamorata lived he rose walked back and forth in his squeaking shoes sat down again and forgetting his lily for a moment tried to talk with julian 
Do you have much work? he asked. A good deal. And people pay you well? Well enough. I have no reason to complain. How much do you earn a day? About thirty francs, taking one day with another, said Julien with a smile. That's not very much, but your father at your age didn't earn so much as that. And you will increase your prices from year to year, I suppose. I hope so, and expect so. You lead a temperate and regular life, so I am told. I am forced to do so, uncle. You don't go into society, I imagine. I have no time for that. But you know some people of quality? Those who were friends of my father have not forgotten me. Do you sometimes pay visits? Rarely, and only when it is necessary. Do you know the Baron d'Encourt? I know her name. Nothing more. Isn't she a friend of Madame de Strel? I have no idea. But you know Madame de Strel? No, uncle. You have never seen her? Never. Julian told this lie with resolution. It seemed to him that everybody was trying to pry into his secret, and he had determined to conceal it more securely with a cloak of savage distrust. That's funny, continued Uncle Antoine, who may have conceived some suspicions of his own in order to remain true to his habit of suspecting everybody. Your mother passes hours and days in her garden, even in her salon, they say, and you... I am not my mother. You mean that you are not noble? I mean that I am not old enough to call on a person who receives only older people. Perhaps you regret that you are too young, eh? I am very glad that I am young, I assure you, replied Julienne, laughing at his uncle's peculiar reflections. The uncle, foiled in his attack, began to pace the floor again with a jerky, nerve-wearing step. Then he said to Julienne, Will it take you much longer? Two or three hours. May I look? If you choose. Oh, ho, that's not bad. That begins to look like something. But you're painting the whole background. Where you will put the plant's name? I want it in big gold letters. Then I won't put it anywhere. It would spoil my effect. Ah, oh, upon my word, but I will have my name. You can have it put in large black letters on a raised plate at the top or bottom of the gilt frame. Good, that's a good idea. If you give me a masterpiece, I'll invite you to the ceremony of baptism. Tchah, a ceremony? Oh, yes, the gentlemen from the Royal Garden are coming to breakfast with me tomorrow. I have invited them. I expect they'll come, and, as it tires me to sit in one place with folded arms, I'll just go home and see if everything is going on all right, for I mean to have a sort of party. Take good care of my lily. Don't let anyone disturb you. Work without stopping. I will come back in an hour. And, as each touch of the brush, wielded by Julian with an enthusiastic and unerring hand, seemed to make the marvelous plant actually live on the canvas, the uncle was profoundly impressed, smiled, and softened so far as to pat the young man's shoulder, saying, Courage, my boy, courage! Satisfy me, and perhaps you won't be sorry. End of section 10